Welcome to Conservation Conversation with me, Kaz, from Ultimate Safari. We're still talking all things leopard, but this time we chat with a real-life citizen scientist. Own Grobler lives in a wildlife estate in Hutzbreit, South Africa. Hear about his personal encounters with wild leopards in a built-up residential area and what that means for the leopards and for the residents. We are also joined by conservation ecologist and project manager Marine from Ingwe Leopard Research, who expands on the important role people like Owen play in the study and conservation of leopards. Owen, lead us, bud. Tell us, what is this Searching for Spots story all about? Searching for Spots really um, started as a passion project where we moved from the big smoke from Joburg and wanted to do something conservation oriented. And when we moved onto the Hoodspread Wildlife Estate, I was curious. Um, so it was a passion project initially. I wanted to know how many transient individuals are using the estate. And as time went on, I, I learned more and had a better understanding and then began to believe that it was actually possible to, to photograph these animals. Um, which initially I thought was impossible. And a big part of what I, I learned was just by listening, uh, because these leopards were so difficult to sight. We had an old, very old male leopard uh, here for the first year or so that I ran the project, uh, very worn down ears. His canines were almost non-existent, very worn down as well. But he seemed to be very present because he was vocal often. So, um, yeah, my, my wife left for three weeks when we first moved here and as any normal human being would, would do, I went and I sat in the darkness and listened to leopards at night. And it, it was really great having him around because he was so vocal and it would elicit a response from the, the, the dominant female. And in time, another leopardess began to respond and once I started to see them and actually spend some time with them at night, um, when I heard these leopards, I was able to distinguish which leopard was rasping. So that was quite helpful early on, at least with him, to give myself an idea of where he was moving. And then I would head off uh, the next morning and set up trail cameras and that's in that area and try to find tracks. Um, started to give me a bit of an understanding of what he was up to. And interestingly, when he was around, he appeared to spend quite a lot of time with the dominant female when he came onto the property. I would often get their tracks together. And that really kicked things off for me. Um, I think that's it, when I got attached to the project. And five years down the road, there's been uh, a large number of experiences and data collection and learning uh, to the point where I think in a, a disturbed landscape like this, um, what I've done is, is pretty unusual. I don't think there's a lot of um, people out there within a place that is such a densely populated area that has been able to monitor these leopards um, the way that I have. So we're at a point now where, you know, what do I do with that information? And uh, I wrote a book. It was really, it's just a coffee table book that was aimed primarily at the residents of, of HWE. I wanted everyone to at least be aware of what was going on and have an idea of the leopard dynamics. Um, and I think more recently, uh, which I'm sure we'll discuss later, that's become even more important. So, yeah, it's been a great journey, one of learning. And uh, it went from a passion project into something that's definitely more conservation oriented now. I have enough knowledge behind and information behind me to actually make a difference and start a, a discussion on coexistence. And I think it's a discussion about coexistence that is um, vital, not only for the area where you live, but also for the Ingwe uh, leopard research. I mean, that you are exactly the type of person that they are wanting to engage with um, and tap into, not so marine. Mm, no, exactly. I think for me, like Owen's story shows that if you have like a bit of love for wildlife and just are interested about your surrounding, then you can contribute to conservation. 
Like you don't need to to have like a master or a PhD or anything in in any of the conservation field. You just need to love the wildlife and to want to preserve it, and there you have your your part to play. Um, and in the end, it, it, it is what Ingwe is about. Also, the, the, that project is to engage with citizen scientists, and I think Owen is like on the podium, you know, of citizen scientists. <laughs> in the yeah, sense, that, like, no, no, exactly. But he, like, he's the most dedicated one, and. Uh, if we had more people like him or even just doing slight, even slightly less, but that were as dedicated as him, um, imagine how much information we could gather uh, like, as a, like as a community. Um, so, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. Let's create more, more Owens. <laughs> <laughs> yes, clone and Owen. <laughs> Owen, I just wanted to backtrack one tiny step, and that is, aside from being a passionate person about wildlife your background is in fact wildlife photography right yeah um i i am a wildlife photographer by trade it's very difficult to get unique images nowadays and uh one image that was really driving me was to try and showcase uh the dominant female's versatility and i began to think about trying to get images of her sliding underneath the perimeter fence, which is electric and barbed in most places and actually has razor wire in other places. But she makes a plan to get under. Um, in many instances, she'll use a spot where a warthog has dug a hole, a little bit of a deeper depression, but she can use other areas. And that eventually happened, um, which was a pretty unique image. And it got the attention of Remembering Leopards, uh, Margot Raggett's initiative, which is a global initiative uh, on the Remembering Wildlife Collection. So that image is going to be featured in that book and the launch is in London. Um, it's actually quite an emotional point for me because the image itself is, is close to my heart, but the leopard, she's been very difficult to monitor and she's been the primary subject. And now a glimpse of her story is going to be seen the world over. And she has an added role in conserving her species, you know, a leopard from the Hoodsprat Wildlife Estate. So the photographic aspect was certainly a part of it for me because I wanted to try and get images that, that people didn't have. And also just being able to photograph these periurban leopards is, is something that not many people are going to be able to do. So, it's um, quite an interesting story that you have already shared with me. So I'm going to lead you into please sharing the story with our listeners now in terms of what the process was that you eventually managed to get this iconic photograph of a leopard slipping under barbed wire and electric fence. Yeah, she, she had the unenviable task of herding cats again. She had two young cubs. Um, which obviously changes things for her. She She's not as elusive. And she killed a young Anyala bull on the property. And typically the leopards here will do what they can to avoid uh, being seen by, by people. So they'll generally leave um, before the sun rises and they'll only really enter after sunset or typically mainly when it's dark. But when there's a kill involved and there's cubs involved, there's a better chance that they might exit in the daylight or perhaps enter in the daylight. And I was out one morning checking my cabs and a young leopard bolted across the road and went under the fence and, and headed out. So I knew that one of the cubs had left and I also knew of the kill at the time as well. So that afternoon at about half past three, I headed back and the goal was to photograph that youngster coming in. But, you know, you're dealing with a leopard that has better sight, hearing instincts than, than you do. And I had to try and, and give myself a clear shot uh, without scaring the leopard away. So in the end, I decided I parked my vehicle well out of view and I went and I sat on the road about 70 meters from the entry point and leaned forward with my legs crossed because the razor wire would partially um, hide me. 
and I was sheltered by a little bit of grass overhanging the road and a leadwood. So all of this stuff, I figured, well, okay, you know, if, if ever I've got a chance, this might be it. I'm far away, I'm low to the ground and I'm partially hidden. And at around five o'clock, so I'd been sat there for one and a half hours. I mean, the pins and needles was next level. And you're too scared to move because you don't know if a leopard is watching you and might pick up on your movement. Um, at five on the other side of the fence, I saw the dominant female. She actually arrived. And shortly after that, a tail flicked up and hit her in the face. So I realized that one of her cubs was with her. And it was the same cub that had bolted out earlier in the morning. And she looked over in my direction and appeared to spot me straight away and started walking up to me, obviously still on the other side of the fence. And she got to within about 30 meters of me and was looking straight at me. So I figured that was the end of it. You know, she's just going to bolt and that's my opportunity over. And she turned around and walked straight back to the entry point and she entered. And as she entered, um, I had a, a DSLR at the time. So the shutter speed got her attention. So she looked at me and her entry had given the cub confidence. So the cub entered and was standing nestled right next to her, basically perfectly mimicking her body language. And I managed to get those images of them. And Kalua, the female, crossed the road and her daughter exited again, but came back in 10 minutes later. Uh, she triggered my trail camera. So, yeah, that was a, a really, really special experience for me. And it took, I think it was 19 months before I even had an opportunity to do that with this leopard. That's amazing, hey? That's dedication. And good on you for <laughs> enduring those pins and needles and <laughs> yeah, it was a, discomfort for quite some time. It was a, a blissful and, and painful walk back to my car. And I think that's, that sharing that story is, is not only testament to your passion and commitment to the species, but I think it also gives a little bit of insight to anybody who's not familiar with what it's like to live on a wildlife estate, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the value that this lifestyle adds is hugely significant. And obviously with um, the volume of independent leopards that are using it either as part of their territory um, or transiting through their marine, this is probably why you are so excited to have this particular estate as part of your um, research area. Is that right? No, absolutely. I think like also the Woodspray Wildlife Estate is quite nicely situated because it's, I mean, it's in terms like it's in the middle of town, but also like reserves around. So it is, I think it's probably one of the most urban, uh, let's say, reserve that uh, that is in the study area. Um, and having so much information about how these leopards adapt to this type of an environment, I think it's, it's really priceless. Um, and also, it, yeah, it gives a lot of opportunity about how to coexist with that with those leopards and how to make sure we're going to leave them the space that they need to carry on uh, moving from one area to another. Because um, I think with with a growing human population, um, it is it is definitely a challenge for wildlife in in general and. But we should not forget that we are living uh, with wildlife and we need to respect them and give them, give them the boundaries that they need and also allow them to continue moving freely. Um, because, I mean, this whole food spread is a, it's a wildlife heaven, the whole area. Um, so if we didn't have this wildlife anymore, you can just remove both those woods and then there's no more motto that uh, would fit food spread anymore. So I think it's, uh, it's very important to have these estates involved and the, and the people um, as well. That's, that's crucial. Excellent. I agree. And I think also, um, as, a, as you've alluded to now, uh, Maureen, the, the coexistence of us and wildlife is, is something that is important um, in terms of protecting biodiversity for, for one point. But I think also what it does is it, um, if we have an umbrella species like leopard, um, taking care of them, then by default, you're automatically then starting to take care of everything that's below them, right? Mm -hmm. so. I, yeah. I was just going to say, leopards are like charismatic species. So on top of being an umbrella in terms of the space that they cover, they also, people can maybe relate a bit more just because they are so beautiful and gorgeous and people are attracted to them. 
then they will be more inclined to protect them and therefore indeed protect the one. And But let's speak to the, the coexistence of, of wildlife and humans, Owen. Um, can you give me an idea of how big the uh, Hootspread Wildlife Estate is? It's 700 hectares. Um, okay. And that's, yeah, That I'm glad that you brought that up. At the moment, I'm preparing to give a presentation on the leopards of HWE um, covering like the dynamics in general, but more specifically at the moment in the last few months, uh, we've had a young male who has recently become independent. He's the offspring of that female, um, the, the current litter. And he was constantly present from April until end of July. And this was a big concern for some people. There were there was a group of people that were adamant that he was going to attack someone, uh, more specifically a child, or he is going to attack a child and he must be removed. And there's another group of people who want him to be left alone. And this really galvanized me into taking action because I do believe that we need to be making informed decisions or sharing informed opinions and within an environment like this, there really is very little research or data on, on what to do. So understandably, the board and management are not sure what to do. But I've been looking into it um, in depth over the last few weeks to prepare for this talk. And I think a couple noteworthy things to mention is young leopards by nature are generally very confiding and they get over it and they do disperse and i actually have an example of that here on wildlife estate um, we had a young male leopard that was here for about a year he only really left in march this year so he left in march and then this other youngster showed up in april and he also created a stir there was some concern about him though he wasn't as comfortable being seen as this current young male but he still made a lot of kills amongst the houses. People did see him. He was seen during the day. In fact, it was brought to my attention recently that he joined someone in their house. In December of 2022, a gentleman was sitting, one of the homeowners was sitting in his home and this leopard walked in and they both calmly watched each other. And then he turned around and he padded out and the gentleman was left to try to take in what had just happened. And he wasn't given much time because two minutes later, the leopard walked back in. Oh no. Oh, wow. And uh, at this point, um, he stood up and made himself bigger and the leopard turned around and left and never returned. Mm. And this leopard for me um, is really iconic in this story because he became independent. He showed up, he hunted, he did his thing, and then he dispersed without conflict. And now we have another scenario. We, we have an individual that was hanging around and he was being seen more often, but there's been no conflict. I also have not been able to find any cases of a young leopard attacking a person, let alone a, a young, healthy individual that is hunting for itself and you know making its own kills very successful. So I think it does need to be put into context that you're dealing with confiding animals by nature, at least when they're young. And I don't think that this means that they are an added threat relative to a more secretive and older cat. If that were the case, then I think a place like the Sabi Sands would certainly have far more incidents. And, you know, these leopards drink out of swimming pools there and sit on roofs and under decks and den cubs under decks and people stroll are tracking them on foot. For break <laughs> stroll through yeah, exactly. For breakfast. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, they get tracked on foot daily. These are very habituated animals that, that are desensitized to, to vehicles and, and more and more desensitized to people on foot. Yet, you know, in the existence of Sabi Sands, the instances or incidents are very low. And none of these have been from young, healthy animals. So it's been very important to try and, and make these points. And I'm not at all saying that it's impossible that, that there will be an incident, but I think when you move here, you do so with a number of dangerous animals. Um, we know of the incidents, or I know of in Blyder River in 2018, I think Dr. Katie Williams and her child were trampled by a giraffe. Then there was a, a gent, um, a 
2021. I think he was badly wounded by a Nyala bull. So, and, and we have, you know, instances here where the warthogs have stormed through an electric fence and, and mauled the dogs. So I think it's just important to try and let people know that, yes, the leopard's a predator and it gets a lot more attention, but we really are living amongst a number of dangerous animals. And I don't feel like because a young individual is showing himself, that makes him more of a threat than a shy individual, older individual, shy, older individual. I would be more wary of a leopard that I cannot see than I would be of a leopard that I can see that, that really hasn't exhibited any form of aggression. So it's been a hell of a thing. It's been a very polarizing topic recently on HWE, and it's not over. Obviously, I'm giving the talk next week. But fortunately, as, as, as what happened with the previous young male, this youngster since the 30th of July, I've only got one report on him. So that's you know an indication that he's, he's either moved on or he's at least spending less time here. And that report was trail camera footage. So no one has actually seen him which I think also speaks to the fact that he's possibly got over his curiosity and he, he doesn't enjoy the attention anymore. I think a lot of points that you've, you've made now are, are valid and I, I hope that sanity will prevail and that mm. the, the right sort of decisions, informed decisions can be made um, by the, the property management. One of the things that I think a lot of people might be asking is, is it not possible to remove any of these big cats that people are concerned about, um, also known as translocation? Um, Marina, I can see you smiling at me. I know you have an opinion about translocation. So do you want to tell me your thoughts about removing this young, inquisitive uh, male leopard and, and what the potential implications are? I think first, just before talking like about translocation, I think one thing that is very important about what uh, Owen mentioned is you they, like the perception of the people. There is this perception of danger, but there is often like quite a big uh, difference between perception and and the reality. And that's something that I think we need to be working on because it brings fear. But is the fear perception is often something that needs to be. I think I think that needs to be looked at when doing conservation in the same way. Um, just to make like a, like briefly, but like human wildlife conflicts, when you talk to farmers where they feel their livestock is constantly being attacked by big predators. But if you look actually at how often it happened, what, what do the, li the livestock die off? It might be maybe one carnival every year or so that kills the livestock and the rest dies of natural causes or diseases or etc. But what stays in the heart of the people is that their livestock is being killed by carnival although it barely happens so i think it is a bit of the same we just you just need one maybe one potential like incident that happened even far away from where you live and then suddenly people are like oh this is dangerous so i think perception against reality that's something um people need to realize and i think we need to work on also um so then regarding translocation look i think from my point of view but also from what from what research says uh, what you can find on literature Translocation is not really something that that work uh, in general. There is actually a very there is a, a website called like conservation evidence that gather and where you can look at specific topic. And if you just type translocation of, of wildlife um, on that website, it will show that it barely it doesn't really help. And one of the main reason, I mean, if you but first translocation has a big cost also. So who's going to bear to bear that cost? Um, we need to trap that animal. We need to put it away. But where are we going to put it? If you take that um, individual, we put it somewhere else. There is first, what is the chance of survival of that individual? Because now you're moving it in a completely new territory. Um, you're also moving it uh, like uh, with other um, leopards or and other wildlife that you might not be familiar about. How what are the rules basically in that in that area? Um, it can also lead to, for example, if you put up like a, one of a, a male that used to be a bit dominant and he. If he managed to uh, succeed and build up a bit of a territory, he might also disrupt the area. They kill cubs uh, from other female because he wants the female to, to be his. So there is actually, it's, it's very disrupted for, for the whole environment. And it, that leopard could also have uh, get into conflict with, with people because now he doesn't know how things work there. 
So I think it's much better to keep that animal around and for us to 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 understand how to coexist. Um, and for those individuals, they know. I think they know people have it. Like they they know when to go in and out. They know they know what's happening like really well. Uh, and I think it's much safer to have an individual that that is familiar with its environment than not. And then finally, also if you remove re- remove that individual, a new one might come in. Then they, then then needs to adapt also, learn all the rules, um, and that also might lead to to conflict. So. Yes, basically, I'm not in for translocation, and it's not it's not proven to work anyway. So I say we need we need to coexist. But yeah, or when you've done your yeah. your research also in the on the topic, so I don't know if you have more more to add uh, to that. <laughs> well, just the one thing from the literature that Maureen sent me, um, there was a statement in there that a leopard can move up to 500 kilometers back to where it had been translocated from. So that's quite staggering. Um, and I know, I mean, I have an example. I don't know if either of you are aware of this. There was a female leopard, a young female leopard at Massorini picnic site in Kruger, Palabora Gate, that was hanging around the toilets and the staff were getting very uncomfortable with this. So they removed her, they translocated her, and they took her up towards Olifants. And three weeks later, she was back and she's still there. She's dominant there now. So, and there hasn't been any incidents. So she, they tricked her and she came all the way back and she's still there. So I think it's, yeah, it, translocation just doesn't seem to be an option for me. I'm a much stronger advocate for coexistence and us as people taking responsibility for where we live and getting into discussions about how we can minimize the risk of any incidents happening. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the, the little bit that I also um, am aware of, um, especially when you start trying to tra- translocate um, felines, <laughs> even a domesticated house cat is going to be very uncomfortable if you move. Um, and many stories I've heard from not only my own experiences, but other people where you're new tenant phones and says do you have a Siamese seal point with squint blue eyes well yes i do (laughs) (laughs) he's rocked up again so yes i think to the point one last time we really need to find a way to coexist with these with these magnificent animals and marine the point that you made is if we do translocate where do we translocate them to you know, urbanization and population growth is at an all-time high, not just limited to Hootsprate, but certainly around the globe. And sure. our beautiful animals are running out of safe spaces to inhabit. Hmm. So, yeah, cool, we'll move you, but where are we going to move you to? You know, that yeah. also needs to be something that's that's very thoroughly yeah. investigated and, and it must be viable at the end of the yeah. day. Don't it's just send relocating the problem. So it's just... Exactly. I mean, the non-problem most of the time, actually. The non-problem. Yes, the (laughs) non-problem. Yeah, as you said, Maureen, perhaps, you know, perception versus reality. Mm. Yeah. Yes, uh, definitely. uh, Well, Owen, you certainly seem to cut out um, a sizable chunk of work for yourself um, in terms of doing the best marketing campaign for Leopard in the the Hootspread wildlife estate mm-hmm. and probably the greater Hootsprate area because, you know, hopefully what people learn from the talk that you're giving will spark dialogue that's not exclusive just to the estate, but will actually have impact for Hootsprate, the town as well, which leads me mm-hmm. to that fabulous road called the R40, <laughs> which has historically included all kinds of wildlife crossings backwards and forwards. Um, and maybe this is now an opportunity for, for people to take things a little bit more seriously, particularly not only the safety of the humans in the area, but the wildlife in the area too. Mm-hmm. And Maureen, you've got some um, an idea or two of how you think this can be achieved. Do you want to share those? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So I think, that's, look, if, you, if we look at, at numbers, like leopard kill doesn't happen regularly on the road and, and luckily for that. Um, but but it doesn't mean 
the R40 is still quite a big divider in, in the area because we have reserves on both sides. And actually, the, the young male that uh, Owen was talking about uh, was recently spotted on the reserve like for the first time. So I think what, something that can be done on that road is um, encouraging people, to, I mean, getting them to, rem to, to remember that there's wildlife around. So it means driving slower. It means paying a bit more attention. Um, and some of the, I had this idea is just simply like maybe putting some signs also when you, um, around those reserves, which can be leopard signs, the same way that they are elephant signs or warthog or whatever, just to remind people, be careful, there is wildlife there. Why not putting one or two speed bumps that are painted with leopards, uh, <laughs> leopard spots? I think that's, uh, that's something that people really remember. Um, and I'm not saying this necessarily is going to have um, a massive impact on, on the leopard population, but it's going to, to put in people's minds, okay, yeah, we, we are living with wildlife. Wildlife is crossing. Um, and even if it's not to save a leopard, it can avoid us eating a bird or eating a mangoes or, in, or any of the wildlife around. So, and I think, I think that road um, is quite dangerous for living in the area. I think it, it is a very dangerous road um, and everyone will benefit from having speed limits um, and, and speed bump on a regular basis. I think um, we're living in a world that's going too fast. Let's just slow down and, uh, and let also like, yeah, just animal moving more freely. Let us calm down a bit and, and enjoy our space and, and respect the wildlife around. So. Um, these are some idea that yeah. that could happen that that would help. So yeah, looking yes. forward to see a speed bump full of spots instead of a zebra yes. crossing. Like it would that. be a bit of a different one. <laughs> yes, no, I like that. Slow down and search for spots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a great there you go. Idea, <laughs> <laughs> <Love that. laughs> I will sponsor the signboard even. <laughs> great, that's noted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, cool. Yeah, um, okay, I'm very happy with how things are moving along here. Mm. I just wanted to have an understanding of one more thing, and that is the involvement of, I mean, we have touched on it briefly, but I just wanted to have an understanding of the involvement of, of um, citizen scientists. And Owen, thank you again for making the time to chat with us, because as we've already said, you are the epitome of a citizen scientist. <laughs> Thanks. But you're having fun doing it, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it's been a, a blessed journey. And it obviously means buckets and buckets to be able to work with, with somebody like Maureen and her Ingwe Leopard research, right? Yeah, no, um, I think what Maureen's done up until this point is tremendous. And it is, you know, I think she's standing at the base of Everest, um, there's a lot of work to be done and, and dealing with people and, and trying to network and increase the the area that's being covered by Ingwe. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it's a, it's a novel concept and I think it has a lot of space in the future. So, you know, hopefully Ingwe just continues to go from strength to strength in the, in the medium to short term. Yeah, thanks, Owen. Yeah. I for think for sure, yeah. If I look, they, I mean, there are citizen scientists all around the area. Uh, I mean, in a lot of other wildlife estates are also participating, and and it's all about. And people love checking what is in the in their back in, in their backyard. So that's why there's so many camera traps. I think in what I don't know how many camera traps are in in the Hoosbury Wildlife Estate. About 150 cameras. So it's 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 huge. Um, and I think it's amazing. It shows that people want to know what's happening. And it's just about harnessing that and also saying, okay, thanks to you now, this is this is what we're going to be able to achieve. Uh, but uh, yeah, everyone is a citizen scientist around and yeah, looking forward also to carry on growing the whole network and, and, and also to get the first result because I think in the end, everyone is, is really <laughs> eager to know exactly what's, what's happening and it takes a bit of time to, to get all of it. Um, but the more we're going to be, um, the the yeah, the quicker we're going to get information. And it, and it's great to have, like, reserve joining on a regular basis. Uh, and actually, I got contacted by another two recently that are like, oh, we heard about your project. Can we join in? I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so, Brilliant. So that's, awesome. that's exciting. That's so it means that people are starting to talk about it and getting excited mm. about it. And, uh, and yeah, I think all together, we're going to, to make a bit of a difference. Mm. So, I think, yeah, 
just in the Hoodsprayt area as well, Ingwe's definitely got traction amongst citizens because it's created awareness and people want to share. They want to participate and be a part of it. And as Maureen was saying earlier, you know, leopards are pretty charismatic animals. They're, they're an animal that, that most people want to see. Um, so I've seen it. I mean, I had the reason that we found out about this young male going across the R40 in Takaya is because someone sent me that video. And that person actually said to me, she said to me, is this Insekelo, who's this leopard? And I responded and I said, but how did you know that it was him? And she said, well, I've been following the stuff and I compared it to the other image of him and I knew it was him. So it's already becoming a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, with Ingwe and people are paying attention and and hopefully uh, more and more citizen scientists, you know, start to to get involved. And making those all very, very valuable contributions. Yeah. Yeah, um, it definitely helped being able, at least at the time, he he went across the road to Kaya and I was very quick to send that message um, onto management because they wanted to know what his movements were. And uh, by that evening, he was already back on wildlife estate. <laughs> but at least we could say that that he was showing signs of moving. You know, that wasn't that's not his natal territory. That isn't a part of his mother's area. And he'd gone there. Yeah, but I think it's uh, the message that it should also send um, is that it, he, the leopards are being watched, they're being monitored, mm. they because there's passion for them and people are curious and want to know where they are and what they're doing. There's eyes looking out for them all the time, and that information alone. I mean, aside from what Marina's doing, but that information alone for people that are responsible or people living in a wildlife estate. Um, can know that they are being eyeballed all the time. And, you know, except now the little bugger has disappeared since the end of July, but, you know, let's just wait. He's probably mm. just checking out a couple of other corners that we don't have eyes on yet. But I yeah. think it's all very exciting. And, yeah, the best of luck to you, own for your for your talk next week. Um, I, I'm hoping that maybe some really good stuff, good things come out of it and that we'll have to have a follow-up interview with you just to find out what the next step is, what decisions have been made. Yeah, thank you very much, Kaz. I appreciate that. But I, I think you make a really good point there. The other side of this is, let's say that an, an old, ill, injured individual does come through. Because these animals are being monitored, that then puts management in a position to say, okay, listen, we need to have a look at what's going on here. You know, they're not operating blind. So I Everybody think there's that side of it as scared. well. And, um, you know, obviously a part of what Ingwe is doing is, is going to be dispersals and where these animals are setting up their territories. And we already have evidence of that here where a female that was raised on and around HWE has settled in Raptors View Wildlife Estate in the surrounding area. She's set her own territory up and she's just raised her first litter of cubs. So that monitoring has is multi-layered. It has a lot of advantages and things that I think that will be appealing to management of the reserves, but also to the citizen scientists. And a bit more, um, maybe reserve management would also maybe chat a bit more between themselves. So they have, they get the same approach. I think what I was saying, though, maybe I can just rebound on that, is just one of, the, one of the advantage is that there might be a bit more like collaboration between all of the reserves in terms of ma management. Instead of everyone looking at their own reserves, we can have a look at the bigger picture also and have a bit more of a holistic approach as well. So I think that could be one of the advantages of having so many eyes out and so many management involved in this type of project, which is, again, all about collaboration. So... Um, and I think one one more thing that I wanted to mention about having so many eyes out is that I hope so I hope but I don't that's something we'll have to be a bit study that it might also deter people from maybe trapping those leopards or from uh, putting up snares or anything because there would be so many people actually keeping eyes out now um, and and maybe a bit of a quicker response. So I'm hoping that that could be also one of the benefit. Although right now I don't know, but. I, Maybe that's something that would be interesting to to understand in the in the future. Yeah. Definitely, all the things we're talking about here 
bode well for the future of, of the species that is, I mean, it's iconic to Africa. I know they occur different versions of them all around the world, but they certainly are an icon of, of Africa. I struggle to anthropomorphizing, is that correct? And um, I butcher yeah, that word too just, every time. <laughs> it's this just leads on with that debate, doesn't it? But I, I think there's so much value in giving an animal an identity to protect it, not only economically, but it definitely makes those that would mean to do it harm think twice. I think so. I I am a big believer in that now. I know there's still a few people that are dead against against it, though I, I still don't understand what their argument is. But I think there's definite evidence supporting doing that, giving an animal an identity and, and keeping eyes on it. Um, it has a lot of, of beneficial aspects. I mean, if I recall correctly, Scar, the lion from the Maasai Mara, he brought in tremendous amounts of money and he had been given an identity. So I think the world or people in general are becoming more partial to that than the sort of old school you cannot give an animal a, a name or, or attribute human qualities, as some would say, to, to an individual. There was an article that I posted recently on LinkedIn, like that we shared about naming animals actually in, in Africa. I don't remember what was the against argument, but I clearly had a, a bit of a bias because I'm all for naming also. But what I remember is that the against argument were not, not very strong. And globally, the paper ended up saying there's more advantage than disadvantage of, of naming animals. If it stays like locals name and like he has to respect some some rules um but yeah definitely more advantages i will send it to you owen <laughs> and Kaz, you thank want. you <laughs> yes thank you no i agree i mean the one thing that we that we can relate to doesn't matter whether you enjoy wildlife or not and but that is having an emotional connection to something mm. um and if i'm going to speak to something that's important to me i wanted to have a name not the dominant male, you know, Yeah. <laughs> there's been a few. Hey, Owen, you've been doing this for long enough now. I'm sure you've got a bit of a family tree going on there. The yeah, yeah. I, I recently sent it to, to Maureen. I had a predecessor who was doing it. So I also had archived photographs um, that were very helpful. The, the male that took over here, interestingly, is also the offspring of the dominant female. So he never really dispersed or he at least came back. You know, I don't know what he'd been up to for the years prior to it. Um, and I think once every, you know, years down the line, uh, once Ingwe has more data, we might see that animals that are raised in disturbed landscapes will tend to settle there because it appears that there is lower competition, at least going off this little patch that I have here. Um, so these animals have learned how to survive and adapt and live amongst man. And when they go to another area, it's not going to be as competitive for them to settle there because wilder, for want of a better word, wilder lepers will be less partial to doing that. And we see that with that young female that was raised here as well. In my time, she settled in raptors and surrounding areas. I think that's a fantastic um, observation. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's it's important for people to understand that, yes, Owen is passionate about the current situation of leopards, but the fact that you had a predecessor and have access to that information as well, I think really sure. builds a really strong case of how important it is for us to know that these animals are around, know that they are being watched, um, and adapt according to what they need in order to survive in the areas that, in, in effect, we've encroached on. Mm. Yeah. I, think it's, it's, I think it's quite interesting because the leopards from the Sabisen and the Kruger are very well known. Um, there's a lot of information about them, but that's all in like completely protected areas where people go all the time. But like areas like Hootspray that are a mix between protected and unprotected areas, very little is known, so we need to get the same love that people have for the Sabisen leopards to love also the hoodspread leopards, and then also like like efforts can then be put up for them also, which is yes. very important yeah. as well. Yes.
Um, Owen, I want to um, reach out to you again about your book. Um, I was, I had all of this information and data, and then I wanted to do something with it. I had wonderful experiences, and I had quite a lot to say on it. So it became uh, a way of getting people to be more aware of what had been happening and of the fact that these leopards are around us and really due to technology, trail cameras and CCTV footage, etc., were more aware that they're around, but that doesn't mean that this is a new thing. And it was, you know, photographically, it was certainly a big challenge to get images of all the leopards. Um, I think the book has 11 individuals um, and only one of them I wasn't able to photograph, but just circling back to that talk about the R40, he got killed trying to cross the R40. So I wasn't able to get images of him and that, that was very tragic. Um, you know, it just highlights the threats that these animals are faced with on a daily basis. But I did manage to photograph all the other individuals, um, most of which were, were decent to good images. Uh, and that for me on a personal note was definitely a, a hell of a thing. Uh, it's it, it's been very difficult. The the other dominant female that uses a portion of HWE, it took two years, I think, before I got my first image of her. And she was about, she wasn't even on the property at the time. She was walking through a riverbed outside the property. And I happened to, to be there at the time and I saw her. And then later on, um, once again, she had cubs, so it made things a little more tricky for her. I actually managed to get a very nice image of her that I was happy with. So it, it was a lovely blend of experiences and being able to photograph them at the same time as trying to advocate for coexistence and just make people aware uh, of what has been going on on the property. And then going to this current situation with the young male that's been around, he gave me uh, a sighting that I would have said to you is impossible in the context of, of HWE. It was an overcast morning, which was helpful because mm -hmm. it was about eight, nine in the morning, which typically by then, as you know, the light isn't going to be great. And I came upon uh, four young Nyalas that were feeding. I watched them for a bit and I drove about 100 meters down the road and he was on the edge of the road watching them. As I got to him, he bolted into the bush. So I just took a chance and I kept going. I knew there was a single track that came out onto the road a bit further up. So I went there and I just parked and I waited. And this leopard came walking down the single track. He walked out into the open and he lay down and, and watched me for about half an hour. And he rolled over on his back and he cleaned himself. And he was curious. You know, every time I moved, he would look at me. And it's this lovely photo with the leopard staring at you with both ears forward. Um, and at one point he was standing sort of with his head a little bit lower looking at me. So it's, it's this it's sort of mixture of curious and um, a bit intimidating, that type of image. And uh, Maureen then got in touch and she said that it might be a great idea if Vanessa Lomas, who's an incredibly talented uh, artist, painted one of the images and then we auctioned it off. So she's now finished with that with that painting and it, it's come out. I mean, it's, it really is breathtaking to look at. So it's wonderful that um, it's such a cool image, but it's an image, it's a local image that has been painted. Yeah. And, you know, that's for me, again, that little guy is playing his part in conserving his, his species, unbeknownst to him. But it's nice to know that that's happening. Apparently, there's a it's lot of really traction cool. about that painting, actually. There's really? A lot of people. Really? Now, yeah. Jeffrey, uh, who works with Vanessa, told me there's a lot of traction. People absolutely love it. But, uh, but yeah, I think, and, and, and as Owen said, the fact he's a local individual, I mean, it speaks so much now. So, and especially him, yes. actually. He's in, in the yes. middle of that. What, yeah, and what a more beautiful poster child for the project hey i mean mm. it's amazing it's so no, cool. it's great yeah marine once you have the details of um the auction of this painting obviously that'll be shared on various um social media yeah. platforms i know for sure that 
um, searching for spots will be tagged in it. Ultimate Safari will be tagged in it so that we can get this um, little side venture um, flying high and drawing lots and lots of attention. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the reason that you're doing this is to raise funds, right? Unfortunately, the, the project is not yet fully sustainable, but I hope it will be by, by next year. So working quite, quite hard on it. Um, but of course, all the funds that are currently being raised it's going to help Korea and extending the network um, of reserves that are getting involved to get also some extra support in terms of data analysis because it's a lot of it's a lot of work that needs to be done there. And if we want to get the result, then also need extra extra hands because yeah, I'm a one person team, so I can't I can't do it all. Um, and I think one of the other things that I like to do with with the funds is also to start getting um, in contact with the local communities around. Um, that just to get them a bit more involved and to get them also um, logging information so there will be a bit of like field work to do with them. Um, so there's a couple of ideas that I'd like to, to get going uh, next year. So that's, uh, so the funds will be useful for that. Um, but so at, at the moment, uh, I've launched a crowdfunding, like a reward-based um, crowdfunding campaign. Um, so it's quite exciting. We reached, there's like 43% now that is, uh, that's been raised. Um, so hopefully we reach the target of like of ten thousand uh, pound by I think twelve of September. And uh, so they rewards to be to get uh, for any pledges, which is uh, which is great as well. And so, but the crowdfunding is one part. So all the links are on our uh, social media if you want to have a look at it. But um, so the crowdfunding is one part. The foundation, of course, that is helping Ingwe is funding another part. And then there's also a sponsor. Um, a winemaker from from the Stellenbosch area in South Africa, Arid Wine, who is also sponsoring the project. Um, so, but looking for other opportunities like like Vanessa, like artists or, or any other people that might be interested in getting involved. Um, and then more things will come up next year. But I talk about this uh, not now. That would be <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> but yeah, different oh, avenue. Okay. Exciting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hopefully. Exciting. Way to plant a seed there, Marine. I'm very proud of you. Good girl. Thanks. <laughs> Looking at all the different options. Okay, so there are many. <laughs> yes. No. One has to. One has to. I mean, yeah. we've we've had the conversation before about. People don't get into conservation for the money, right? Because there is no yeah. money in conservation. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. And that's why I think it's really fabulous that we land up with um, collaborations like yourself, Owen, and your book, um, and Marine with her Ingwe, and Ultimate Safari, who can get the news out there and spread yeah. The fabulousness that's to be had as far as getting involved in conservation is concerned. Before I end the recording, I would just like to say one last time, thank you both very, very much for making yourselves available to chat with Ultimate Safari on something that is close to our heart. You may have noticed that our logo is a leopard and there's, there's the, a very good reason for that. So we're very happy to collaborate um, with you guys on, on this very important topic of leopard conversation. So Owen, thank you very much. Um, there will be details of how people can get their hands on your book. Um, in the link as well as your social media platform links and Marine, a link to the crowdfunding initiative that is currently on the go will also be in the comments as well as your various social media platforms. Mm. So I thank you both very much. Yeah. And thank you, Kaz, for also like the visibility and giving us that opportunity and getting in touch. I think uh, yeah, all of this would have not been possible without you. So thank you very much for, for your involvement. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Kaz. I really, really appreciate you doing it and, and getting the word out there. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us on our next Conservation Conversation.